In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's how Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth. He starts with the big picture. He starts with some famous people, the kind of names that everyone knew. We all know, I bet, Augustus' name. Quirinius is probably only known to us because we come to church every year and hear that name on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. But surely in Luke's time, in Jesus' time, people knew who Augustus was and knew who Quirinius was. Luke's using an old strategy, right? A strategy to date, to set this story in a particular moment in human history. This isn't just a tale, a, a, a myth, a legend. It's a story that happened on a certain day in a certain place. Probably not December 25th, but some day, some particular day. And back then, if Luke were to write on the third day of December or the eighth day of August... People wouldn't know what that meant. They didn't even know what year it was. Not that long ago, one of my children and I was having a discussion about what year Jesus was born, and they said zero. And I said, you think there was a year zero? It's a strategy to try to set a story in a particular moment to describe it by what was happening in the world around them. When I was in seminary, a third-year seminarian, I had a field-ed placement in a church just outside of Washington, D.C. And what I discovered quickly is that part of the responsibility that came with being the seminarian in that parish was to give a ride to another seminarian who was also in that parish. He had already been ordained a priest. He was from uh, Malawi. And he was there to uh, get another degree as he was seen to be a leader in the church in his country. His name was Given. Given is now a bishop in his church. Given drove me absolutely crazy for the whole year that I gave him rides because I'm the kind of guy that likes to be on time and he's the kind of guy that doesn't care what time it is. And I would sit outside his apartment waiting, knocking on his door, getting back in my car, going back and knocking on his door again and getting back in my car, kind of pulling my hair out. We'll never get there on time. But in the 30 or so minutes that we had every Sunday back and forth, from where we went to school to uh, the church in Potomac, I had a chance to get to know Given. And I remember one day I asked Given how old he was. We'd known each other for a while, and it seemed like it was about the time in our relationship that you could ask a personal question like that. But his response really surprised me. He said, I don't really know. How can you not know how old you are? He said, well... I'm not exactly sure what year I was born. It was about such and such a time. In my culture, in my community, we don't really talk about years. We talk about events. I was born a year after the great flood that came and swept away our village. That's how old he was. He was a certain number of years since that great flood. Maybe it's a famine. Maybe it's a bountiful harvest. Maybe it's the beginning of a king's reign or a notorious scandal. Sometimes authors, sometimes storytellers want to set their story 
using a particular image. And for some reason, Luke sets his story in terms of the rulers of his day. Augustus, the emperor. Quirinius, the governor. I wonder what Luke had in mind when he set the story that way. Last night at the 4.30 service, a fair number of children here, and I asked the children a question. Who's the most important person you have ever met? Think about that. Who's the most important person you have ever met? Usually when the preacher asks a question like that, the preacher's had a chance to think of his or her own answer. I've been wondering what my answer might be. Once, Pavarotti kissed my mother's stomach when I was inside of it. I'm not sure you could say we met. I'm not sure I'd really want to say we met. I'm not sure Pavarotti could survive the Me Too uh, scandals that have, have uh, evolved. My mother was nine months pregnant with me. She was ushering when the Met was touring in Atlanta, and he saw her and called her back to uh, her dressing room, his dressing room and, and kissed her stomach. My mother likes to tell that story uh, when I'm being a loud mouth. That's one of those legendary encounters that, in at least our family circle, kind of defines me. What about you? Who's the most important person you've met? What does it mean to be an important person? On this day, God shows up to do something really remarkable. This is the day when the Savior of the world comes. When God's begotten Son is born, when Emmanuel, God with us, arrives. Luke begins his story by reminding us who was sitting on the throne of the Roman Empire and who was ruling in that region at the time. But pretty quickly, Luke changes his focus, doesn't he? We've got Mary and Joseph. Joseph whom Luke tells us was the heir of David, who, who went to Bethlehem because he was of the family of David. Yet, what kind of king's son can't get a room at the local inn? And by the end of the story, those names feel almost unimportant. It feels more like we're hearing the story of a young couple who's just trying to make it as they bring their firstborn child into the world. The reason I asked the 430 congregation who the most important person they met had been is because when God shows up, God shares that news not with emperors or governors, but with shepherds. I've said it before, nobody really likes a shepherd. We think of shepherds like David or Jesus, the good shepherd, and we think of those as wonderful things, but shepherds didn't bathe very often and they hung around with sheep their social graces were lacking, to say the least. The end of the gospel lesson tells us that when they had seen what they came to see, the shepherds returned. Where did they go but back into the fields where they had been living to share the news with whom? Some sheep? Maybe the shepherd or two who hadn't been around? God does something amazing this day, and of all people, God entrusts that message to the least important people that the world could imagine at that time, some shepherds. Why? 
Why does David's heir come in a stable? Why all this wonderful thing taking place while somewhere over there in Rome and over in a palace there are emperors and governors enjoying their midwinter's dinner? Why? Because the news of this day and the Savior that God gives us is not the kind of Savior who grabs the attention of emperors or governors, of prophets, of priests, at least in the worldly sense. This Savior comes not as the superhero to win a mighty battle for us. Instead, our Savior comes as a baby. And not just a baby who will grow up and do great things, but as a baby who even as a baby has already brought salvation into the world. The things that happen to Jesus, the rest of the story, the rejection of the earthly powers and the earthly powers rejection of him, the trial, the crucifixion and the resurrection, those are not the hero story. Those are the consequences, the symptoms of the real message of salvation, which is that when God comes to the world, God comes not in a palace, but in a stable. God comes not among the important people of the world, but upon the ordinary folks like you and me who know as well as anybody the magic of holding a child, of sharing the moment of joy when a couple welcomes their firstborn into the world. That is where salvation is found. If the people to whom God entrusts that message live in palaces, the message never gets to us. It can't be that way. On Christmas, God shows up here in a little place like this, an out-of-the-way spot on the map. Yes, God is doing amazing things. Yes, it fits into a larger story of power and reign and rule. But you've got to be quiet and you've got to step off the main road in order to find it. That's what we do this day. Thanks be to God. Amen.